episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing just fine, Jody. How are you? <laughs> I'm, doing I'm good. good. Too. I wish I could make that swirl around in the headphones, and technically I could. I just didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It would be cool, right? Because then you'd be using something called what? Atmos mixing. Yeah. Today's topic. Yes, it is. Atmos mixing. Is it worth it? That is the question. Why don't we dive right in? What exactly is Dolby Atmos, Chris? I would describe it as a very immersive audio experience. If we remember surround sound, which was sort of a static thing. If we we remember it, people still use it. But not everybody that's possibly listening to this podcast are <laughs> of a certain age, shall we say. I'm thinking from the, the audio perspective. <laughs> oh, so where, gotcha. where there was, you know, not the movie thing, where we have a static point of speakers, three in front, two in the back generally, and the sub, right, 5.1. Where well, this, how far back are you going to go? Because you could go further back and just call it quad stereo. Yeah, we could go that, but I think that would be, you know, then, then we'd go back and recreate audio from wax cylinders and stuff <laughs> at some point. So no, but what basically what we're doing is that we're adding height to it as well. Yes. So we get essentially an immersive 360 field, which, you know, is really exciting. I think it sounds really, really cool. We we're familiar with this with movies. Yes. Right? Or people that have these Atmos systems or like I hinted before, maybe just surround systems at home in their home theaters and things. We'll be very familiar with that. I think it's exciting that this is coming to music, whether it would pan out. I think the jury would still be out to see if it gets adopted. But uh, Was that a pun? I think <laughs> no, it, it was out. not. <laughs> Bada boom. See, I'm, I'm too clever for my own good. <laughs> Damn right. That's Atmos. It's, it's essentially 360 audio, right? And, yes, uh, I'm that excited. would be what? the simple terminology for it. it. As you were trying to explain, it's surround sound with additional speakers that can give a relevance to height in terms you, of like having- trying to explain? That was a perfect explanation, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> but what are your thoughts about it? What's, what's your immediate feeling that you get when people bring up Atmos for music? My initial reaction is, is does it have to be called Atmos? And the reason why is, is I have done mixes in surround sound in the past. Yeah, but I when that. I did yeah. it, it didn't have the whole height concept. And if I dig real far back into my memory banks while attending music school at Musicians Institute, there was an instructor there by the name of Dale Titus. And I recall having a conversation with Dale at one point where he was talking about having been able to sit in a mixing session where the guys were working on the height thing. Mm. And this was back in, I don't want to say it, but 1992-ish era, they were already working on the height thing in stereo mixes decades ago, but it's just now starting to come onto the scene in a much bigger way and probably in a way that actually technically works with headphones. As I recall, I think he was saying that they were attempting to get it to work on headphones, but they really had to have like a whole bunch of speakers. And when you do that, you have to create a special room and you have to have all these speakers set up in kind of a just right format and it makes it more difficult. And I can understand why that wouldn't catch on because who the fuck wants to sit around and listen to music anymore, especially with the lights out and the candle burning and being taken on a journey by an entire album by one band. (laughs) 
Hinterlihint. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned formats there. What what kind of formats are we talking about here? We're used to hearing like 5.1 and surround. So what are the common formats here with well, Atmos? With the Atmos concept, it is now 7.1.2 and 7.1.4. Or you could even go 7.2.2 and 7.2.4. You know what you reminded me of there? No. Like an old Monty Python thing. And from, a, they haven't only taken from us, but from our fathers and from our father's fathers and from our father's 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 fathers. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, yeah, I could. We should probably explain that if okay. it's not clear. But, but just I can do with that. that, go ahead. 7.1.2, how this works is you have a left front channel, you have a center front channel and a right front channel. Then you have a left center and a right center, which is left and right of you. And then you have a left rear and a right rear. And that's your seven speakers right there. The point one is a subwoofer. If it is a point two after the seven, it's a subwoofer and an extra special speaker for additional bass effects. And then you have the point two on the end, which means that you have a left roof or left ceiling speaker, and then a right ceiling speaker that gets you the final 0.2 on the number. And if it's a 0.4, you have a left ceiling speaker, a right ceiling speaker, then you have a left rear ceiling speaker and a right rear ceiling speaker. And you can get really crazy with 7.1.6, where <laughs> you have left and right front speakers on the ceiling, you have left and right center speakers on your ceiling, and then you have left and right rear speakers on your ceiling. And that gets you the final point on the number. Yeah. It can get really crazy with how many speakers that you can get set up, but is anybody going to do this in their room? Probably not, unless they're yeah. creating a home theater setup. Just to kind of reiterate what you're saying, you basically have the ear level sort of going around in just about a circle, right? You got the mm -hmm. three, two, and two, and then you got the elevated ones, which is the last dot two. Right. Yep. And then the sub in the middle. So you really, really get that atmospheric. You're enveloped entirely in sound. Yes. And you're placed in the middle of it. So for movies, again, because that's kind of where all this coming from, right? Mm -hmm. It is, it's something that we sort of expect now. Whether I, I still wonder if most moviegoers actually listen that actively. But for, for those that do, we know that we're really immersed in the audio field with atmosphere and whether it's bullets whizzing past our heads or helicopters flying or anything. It, it's uh, really Speaking immersive. of bullets whizzing past heads, I recall sitting in the theater watching Saving Private Ryan and yeah. literally ducking my head in the theater because that's how amazing the bullet sounds were in that movie. Like you literally heard them whizzing past your ears in the theater. It was crazy. Yeah, right. Anyway, the real question becomes, will this work in music? It really comes down to people being exposed to it, I think. And do we like it? And is that experience something that is appealing to us or does it feel odd? I can certainly see this being different for certain genres of music oh, yeah. where you can get like really, really creative with it, where... There's, let's say, more traditional forms of music where we're so used to a certain soundscape that it might feel out of place. Yes. But that, I think it's true. really exciting, you know? Well, one of the things that I initially think of when thinking about all of this is, do I have to wear some kind of contraption on my head that has like eight speakers or 10, 14 speakers on my head right. <laughs> to make yeah. all that happen? Because yeah, that I, would be really I, weird looking. It might be cool, to, cool sounding, but it'd be weird looking. 
But I think this is where Atmos has a, a leg up from past technologies in that it works binaurally with just your regular headphones, no special gear needed. And even with AirPods, a lot of people listen to these days, so you would get the same experience, which is really cool and kind of crazy how that happens. But yes. I think that gives it the potential of actually being a valid form to deliver music in because there is no extra burden given on the consumer, so to speak. Mm, yeah. Well, you can technically use what you already have if you're using yeah. AirPods or standard Beats headphones or some other type of headphones or studio headphones or headphones in general that is supposed to work on headphones in general, which is the deciding factor right there. It has to yeah. work on headphones. Totally. You know, even streaming services now are signing off on this. And there are, I know, at least three, like Apple Music, Amazon Music, and Tidal are, they're already on board with this. Yes. And the so, one holdout right now that has what is essentially probably the largest user base outside of YouTube is Spotify. I would assume that it's coming. Maybe that will be another deciding factor is like, well, people don't care because they might not have Tidal or whatever, any other one of these streaming services. We'll, we'll see. I think it's going to be cool. I think it's going to be really, really cool. Yes, I agree. I think it's going to be cool as well. And with that, we'll take a break for a word from our sponsors. All right, we're back. And we're going to talk about now, rather than the coolness factor and the ease of use factor from headphones and get into the concept of how do you actually get the ability to mix this stuff as a mixing engineer? Well, right now, there are, from what I understand, there's two different ways. You can get the, the software that is needed, plug-in form, from Dolby. Right. Now, that there will be a cost attached to that. I don't know what that cost is on top of my head, but but well, that last is we mentioned it on the podcast, they had a ninety day trial. I think it was before you had to start paying for the plugins. Yeah, I believe they still do. So it's there. So you can try it out just in in your DAW of choice. Now, as you mentioned last week in your Friday find, was that this is now also natively implemented in Logic Pro ten point seven. Yes. So you don't need any additional software. So it's going to be basically you don't need another DAW. You're going to add just functionality to that. And if I'm guessing, it may even be added into other DAWs natively as well. I'm not sure. Uh, possibly Nuendo Cubase. I'm just speculating here. But it's a plugin that you add to your DAW. Yeah. If you don't have it built into your DAW, you just get it from Dolby and away you go. I think it's exciting. Again, I keep coming back to that, but I think it has the potential of doing some really, really interesting and experimental things. And I think when we use experimental technology, it can also go pear-shaped, but we'll, we'll talk <laughs> about that a little bit more uh, down the line here. What you get is you have different types of tracks, the way it's described to me, is that you have a bed track. Mm -hmm. And a bed track would be something that is going to be present in all channels, right? It could be possibly reverbs. It could be soundscapes, anything like that, that you want just to be present all the way throughout. And then we have something that's called object-based tracks, where it could be in the music sense, it could be a guitar, or a voice, anything that you want it to be. Then you have the ability to move those tracks around in that virtual 3D space. 
Exactly. It's a little bit like a 13-year-old kid knowing a little bit of karate. It might not necessarily <laughs> be a good thing. <laughs> the possibilities really are endless with that, isn't it? Because after 360, where else is there? You well, know? you go to the universe, but the universe is 3D. So how much further can you go past that? Right. It's none more black. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the tools that we have. And, and I can see it being an added functionality that you can provide clients and stuff as well. Right? Sure. So ultimately it comes down to will clients want this? Will people want this? That's where the bridge has to happen right now. And yeah. we're seeing that happen with Apple Music because they're pushing it really hard. Obviously with the fact that Apple Music is already releasing music in Atmos mixes. And now they're pushed out an update of Logic that allows you to mix using Atmos mixing. So Apple's yeah. definitely got their feet kind of all in because they're going for that big immersive setup. And it'll be interesting to hear how that translates to, say, the HomePod Mini, which is their yeah. current line of speaker that they put out. Because will that work in a room? I imagine that they have software updates coming that will allow that to work really well. Who knows? Well, possibly. But I think since that is all based around how human hearing works with binaural listening environments that we do, we're tricking the brain to thinking that it's hearing things coming from different angles. And therefore, we're at this point dependent on having headphones. It's right. like very directional. And so I don't know how that can go into sort of real space unless you actually have a 7.14 setup or 7.12 or physical speaker setup. I, I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see if they can make that happen. Because that, I think, is where it'll really take off. Not just yeah. the headphone thing, but also having it work on their speakers. And right. of course, if Apple makes it happen on their speakers, Amazon is going to make it happen on theirs as well. And I'm sure Google will follow suit and put it in as well. It's a little hard to, for me, at least, to imagine that out coming out of one speaker today. But Well, I've no, that's why I'm saying it has to be multiple yeah. speakers. I don't think it can be just a single speaker. Yeah, and that, people do buy HomePod minis to go in stereo because they are meant to be able to do that. The software already allows for that just to be a stereo pair. Yeah. So, But the biggest thing, as it kind of seems like it's coming out of your brain and, and out of your mouth, is that there is growing pains to be had yeah. in dealing with this. And then right. the question then begs to be asked is, just because you have the ability to mix in Atmos doesn't mean you should. Yeah. <laughs> when I think of that, there are certain creative things that can come with that as well. And I think whenever there has been any sort of technological breakthrough, it takes a while for that technology to kind of find its foothold and see this is how it works the best. I remember, again, with, when surround started happening. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, yeah, you can put your drum kit right behind you and then the guitar is going to be over to the left and the you know, the vocals are going to be or in the right surround speakers. Like, yeah, but that just makes it sound horrible, you know? Right. So while the technology yeah. allows you to do that, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily a good thing. I think that when we're doing this kind of stuff, being selective with it is probably the key to making it sound good and not just like you're showing off the technology, you know what I mean? So having certain elements kind of travel in the mix if you're choosing for that. Ah, fuck I, that shit. Just make everything move like you're a giant swirling gyroscope. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, you and I have talked and listened to some examples here. And yes, 
what is your now I know what you're gonna say, but I'm gonna post a really? question. <laughs> I have a pretty strong sense of what I think you're gonna say. What is your thought on new music coming out using this technology as opposed to sort of reimagining already recorded stuff and turning it into Atmos mixing? Oy. In the examples that I've heard, the Dolby Atmos version is a little disorienting on songs that I know already pretty well. Yeah. And I think the primary reason for that is the technology at the time those songs were recorded wasn't there for this type of mix. Yeah. And it's not that you can't take the original multi-tracks and make that happen. It's just that it now doesn't hide anything. For better or worse, right? For yeah. better or worse, it does not hide anything. Which, to my mind, as technology advances like this, you need the ability to hide certain things, so to speak. And they didn't have that technology as prevalent back in, say, the 60s, the 70s, or even earlier, even all the way up to the 90s and the aughts. It's, yeah. it's just really just started happening in the last decade where technology got to the point where it's very easy to hide all these imperfection type things that in a stereo mix or even a mono mix for that matter, for a lot of this original stuff that's older than the seventies, it's very disorienting to hear all of that stuff in a yeah, way that it's like, oh man, I didn't realize that there was all this noise or there was all of this kind of space to it. And you're doubling the space because you've got the original space of the track. And then you're adding it into an alternate space, and it sounds weird to me. However, music that was recorded specifically for this format sounds fucking badass. It really sounds badass. The thing that leaps out at me with older tracks sort of repurposed, if you will, is that there is a much more clear distinction between tracks that that becomes more of a separation, again, for better or worse. One of the first tracks I heard was, I think it was Bohemian Rhapsody by Uh Queen, which is one, had we had all the the multi-tracks to that, it would have been amazing, right? Right. Considering that they stacked vocal track upon vocal track upon vocal track for that thing, it's, there's no separation on all those. Right. So, but but when you listen back to it, I found myself hearing parts that I hadn't heard before. Sure. Like, oh, I, that's amazing. I hadn't heard that. That's one positive, right? When think, things can leap out at you. But I also noticed that there was a Prince track that I heard. When, when, doves, well, when, cry. when doves Cry. Yeah. yeah. And as amazing and as cool as that track is, and not to even mention Prince, right? Sure. But it does reveal something about the limitations of recording at one point because you start noticing frequencies not being there, mm-hmm. right? When you listen to a more modern track, perhaps. And that that's nothing to do with the artist or anything. It just has to do with the technology. That was my uh, point. That, yeah. So you can hear all these like really low subs and you hear the entire frequency spectrum. And now when we have access to the multi-tracks and more modern stuff as opposed to older things that might have been limited to 24 tracks and you start stacking harmonies and things and they're just now a stereo pair perhaps, Yep. right? You can't spread that in the way that you might want to do today. 
So there are limitations to that. I think newer tracks sound freaking amazing. I agree. Some of the new examples of stuff that was specifically mixed for the format now. Wow. Just wow. (laughs) Yeah. It's awesome. It's really, it's, I mean, it's very cool. And I think it also, it will all come down to like, well, you know, we're a bit of audiophiles, you and I, like we enjoy listening to that kind of shit, right? But does anybody really care or do enough people care, I should say, that this becomes a valid format? Well, here's the thing that I find that will be a little bit of a stumbling block. What's that? Taking a Atmos mix, shoving it into headphones is all well and good, but I've heard a version of an Atmos mix that was shoved into stereo and Mm. it caused phasing issues that sounded funky. Now, most people wouldn't necessarily notice that in my mind, but I noticed it with a guitar sound and I think we were talking about it and it didn't work in a stereo setup where you're not using headphones because things started sounding phasey. And that's part of that magic that happens when you have headphones on in comparison to being in a car. Because I would imagine that in a car, you'd have to set up a multi-channel speaker setup with this whatever stereo system you have to make that actually work in a different sense. So I believe that part of the issue is going to be if a streaming service is serving you the audio, are you going to have to pick the Atmos headphone mix? or an Atmos car stereo mix, or an Atmos living room mix, or are they just going to try and continue to shoehorn the Atmos mix into a stereo mix? And that's where I could see a problem arising, where people are like, this sounds kind of funny. It doesn't sound the same in my headphones as it does in stereo speakers. I would think that there would possibly be two versions. There would be just the Atmos version and just the stereo version. Right. Right. But now and, you're adding choices and selections that become complicated in a sense. Well, it can, but I mean, but I'm just speculating now. I'm not sure how sort of people are doing Atmos mixing and then sort of folding it down into a stereo field and right. how I'm assuming that technology is very well defined. Well, it's supposed it to, to be built into the Atmos mix system. That well, I'm sure the Atmos mix these- is supposed to already fold down into a stereo mix. My experience with it is it isn't quite there yet in my experience, but that doesn't mean it isn't there. It just means that maybe I haven't heard what you've heard. Time will tell. I think the technology is there and we'll see if it becomes a multi-option thing and introducing an option to the customer or if that would be just, you know, an automatic choice that's done for you. But that would be the ultimate in the situation is if the, streaming software that you're using or whatever it is that you're using to do the playback automatically knows what your listening situation is. Then it can actually play the appropriate mix for you. To me, that would be freaking brilliant. Then you wouldn't have to think about it. Or simply a preference on your listening device, right? Do you prefer the Atmos if if available or not? Right. Right. Yeah. One of those growing pains, I I think possibly that it would be that. Now, the other question I'd have to ask is, of course, we've heard this before where there's revolution in audio and all this kind of stuff. Is it really a revolutionary thing or is it just the next hype that never takes off? Well, I would call it a revolution in the fact that it works in, in headphones. 
Yes. Because prior to this, it required a much bigger contraption to make it work and work effectively. And now that they have it working essentially in headphones, that's the biggest deal because lots of people wear headphones. Yeah. That's reality. And if you can make it work there, you've won in my mind. And I wonder if it will be one of those things where listeners will have an adjustment period of, of feeling that, or if it would be the, oh, this sounds weird. I want to go back to the regular thing. Just I, don't, I think that's a generational thing. And I hate to say the word generational because it's really a matter of personal taste in that regard for people that had grew up listening to things on vinyl. Oh, vinyl so much better. People that grow up on cassettes. Well, cassettes are so convenient and it's so great. And, you know, and now it's yeah. like everybody that's growing up on AirPods. That's the means. And that's how it works. As progress moves forward, if you grew up on it and that's how you know it, that's your reality. For everybody yeah. else, they either have to ignore it or jump in or go kicking and screaming if they're forced into it, so to speak. It's like everything changes and it's just a matter of what you get used to. So it's a matter. I don't think it's a matter of it catching on. I think it's a matter of with Apple, especially behind it, they're just going to push it. And it becomes the norm. Yeah. And you, might, you might be right. I think you have a very valid point there. Yeah. We'll just have to see how creative we can become with it. So that, you know, kind of leads up to just about the, the last point here that I would like to make it. Will clients, again, is this something that we need to adopt in our workflow? Will clients sort of in the future demand this? No, I, I want an Atmos mix as well. And if so, is that something that is like an add-on service for you that can kind of set you apart? Or is it going to be something that is going to be reserved for just the upper echelon of big studios that can make a, they have to make a a substantial investment in investing in Atmos systems in their studio? Because I don't think anybody's going to mix, you know, with headphones for that purpose. You know, that's an interesting observation there. Because yes, and you want to mix it in a studio, you're going to need a speaker setup that would actually work in terms of a monitor thing. And now instead of just stereo speaker setup, you're talking mm-hmm. about adding upwards of 10 more speakers into a situation. Yeah. And depending on what monitor speakers you're using, that could be a pretty hefty investment. On the flip side of that, There are people that probably mix in headphones. And here's an interesting thing that maybe we should have brought up a little bit in the headphones versus monitor episode that we did, in that mixes in monitors tend to translate everywhere as long as you know your monitors. Yeah. The converse is not necessarily true with headphones. Yeah. And that's where it becomes kind of a sticky point because you're mixing for headphones for this spatial stuff for Dolby Atmos. Does it mean you start mixing in headphones or do you do your pre-mixing of like, here's everything I need to do and get all of my EQ adjustments and compression done in monitor speakers and do all your placement with headphones? Yeah. But that again means that you're going to need to have two setups and you're going to have to have like the, maybe those 12 speakers going or more for your studio environment. And then you do all the placement in headphones. Who knows? That, that, that's yeah, going to be you- the weird translation. Right, because you'd still want to make sure that it translates to a full-blown system. And stereo. As well. As it's right. supposed to fold down, it's got to well. fold sure. down to stereo. That's an important thing to note. And I think early on, people will dabble with it. 
but that doesn't mean it's going to end up being cool. And then it's going to become like a thing where you're probably starting out, you're going to add it as an additional feature because now you're talking 3D and that's a lot of work to get something to work in 3D. Yeah. And I wonder also- And then it becomes the norm. Yeah. I wonder also if this means that from a mixing standpoint, that because you now technically have more space to work with, does that mean that we will possibly require less processing on our tracks to make them sit- together in a Dolby Atmos system? Why will you require less compression for like levels, let's say, and you're more concerned about this point that the actual sound that you're creating with this? Or will you have to, you know, be even more judicious perhaps with EQ because there's there's really nowhere to hide, right? Well, this is what I'll so, say about that, knowing that I've done surround sound mixes in the past. The mixes that I did for surround sound were geared specifically for surround sound. And they were very different. Less compression because you had more room. You didn't have to crush everything down to fit everything in. Right. I imagine it's going to kind of be the same thing for the Dolby Atmos. And that's where I'm thinking that the fold down into a two-channel stereo mix becomes the issue. It's like they say you can fold it down. But when you fold it down, how much suddenly changes that you need to do a a different version of the mix. Yeah. If you don't require all the extra compression and you do the fold down, then your stereo mix ends up being quieter. Right. Or which isn't a bad thing. Right. No, I mean, you you end up losing the loudness war at that point. Well, it could be that as well, but I'm thinking also from if you are sort of forced for lack of a better term to compress something to give it space in the mix or right? where it's not taking up everything where it's, you know, the dynamic range is, is minimized mm-hmm. or, or at least lessened. Will that come across as too small now in a Dolby Atmos mix? Time will tell. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I've already noticed is that just mixes in general that are recorded now that are meant for this setup sound ridiculously cool. But it's because the technology is now there where you can clean up the bejesus out of a track and you're not losing anything because it's all there that is meant to be there. That's where I think going forward, it's going to work really well. I think trying to dig out old catalog and redo it is going to be meh at best. Yeah, I mean, I think it will have a certain appeal to some people, but I think that would be more of a curiosity thing, perhaps. Yeah. You know, the people want to hear it. But we still had people that, you know, remember when they came out with the Beatles anthology, they re-released tracks in their sort of like mono versions and things as well. Well, they were originally in mono and they remixed it to stereo. Right. But so now people are like, no, this is the way it's supposed to sound. Will people feel the same way about an Atmos mix? No, no, no. It's supposed to be in stereo. I don't want to hear that. Well, if the Beatles were alive today and doing this shit, you know they'd be fucking doing it. And they would do it on the four track as well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And with that, we're going to move into our Friday Finds. God, I said that really weird. Anyway, Chris, what do you got for us? I have a Brainworks plugin that I've had for a little bit and recently got to use again. It is Master Desk mm. by Brainworks. You know, they market it as, like the name says, it's like a mastering plugin. All right. Uh, Do you feel like He Man and the Masters of the Universe? I feel like I'm the master of my mixes right now. Sweet. I like it. I, li- I don't do a whole lot of mastering, certainly not on my own stuff. 
But when you're sending something to a client and, you know, they want it loud and punchy, I've found that this one is, it sounds great. And it's, it's not just a maximizer. It has some added bells and whistles there to take care of some resonance frequencies and things. And it, it it's good. I like it a lot. So uh, MasterDesk by BrainWorks there. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> All right. How about you, Jody? What do you got? I'm looking at a new synth plugin this week, and it was released by a new company called Cradle. Okay. And you'd think maybe it might be called the Baby Maker or something. I don't know. But instead, they've got this plugin. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> instead, they have this plugin called The Prince. And initially, based on some other stuff we've mentioned on today's episode, you'd think, oh, man, they're going to recreate some old stuff from the 80s with Prince. And the answer is not exactly. Instead, it's a plugin that does recreate old style synth sounds, and they developed it with The Weeknd, the artist The Weeknd, mm. and his producer. So if you want to get The Weeknd's type sound, this is the synth plugin that you need to get. Cool. Yeah. So that's my pick for this week is Cradles the Prince. And with that, while we've got your attention, we would like you to go to our website and leave us a review at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com forward slash review, or you can go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our email list. Doing so gets you weekly reminders about our Tuesday tips, and we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. In addition to that, being signed up on the email list when we do giveaways automatically enters you in the giveaways, which is like really awesome. You can also send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word Atmos. Doing so will get you something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic of suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us on the contact page, hint, hint, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say, see you next week. Have a good one, Jody. Thanks for listening, people. Bye.